The big challenge is this. How are investors like us, who are not backed by a billion dollar hedge fund, who are investing money from our own pockets, how do we buy, sell, and invest in the properties we believe in, yet still make a profit without risking all of our own money? That is the challenge. In this podcast, we'll give you the answers. My name is Nate Armstrong, and welcome to the Social Media Blueprint. Hi, my friends. It's Nate back here again at the Social Media Blueprint Podcast. I've got a guest today coming on by the name of Mike Wolf, prominent investor in Canada, buying property in the United States. He's bought some in Canada as well, but he's really big on US real estate. And he's probably the foremost expert that I know in buying at auctions, tax deed sales. And um, I wanted to bring him on because what's happening is that with the whole thing that shook up in the marketplace, it created a bit of a surge of people getting behind on their mortgage and folks going to foreclosure, folks going to tax foreclosure and mortgage foreclosure, both. And because of that, as a real estate investor, you can help out a lot of sellers by stepping in and saving them. So I started looking around my network and I'm like, oh my gosh, Mike is the guy. And I asked Mike if he would come on and he was kind enough to jump on. So you'll feel like the audio is not perfect on this one because I actually interviewed him on the fly. This guy's normally traveling like the world. He's been to 150 or so plus countries, something like that, some crazy amount, but he's always going on the go, speaking on stages. He's speaking on stages across Australia, New Zealand, all kinds of places. Anyways, he teaches people how to do this whole auction process. So I highly recommend if you want to learn the auction process, take notes during this one, take notes and, and learn this process. This is a skill set to learn. Even if you're not planning to go to the physical auction, you should understand the process because if you get a seller that calls you, and they've gotten notices about going to auction, then you should understand the process so that you can step in and guide them. You can give them your feedback and actually possibly save the day for them. Okay, without any further ado, let's go ahead and let Mike talk. Good to see you, Nate. Yeah, and every time that I talk to Mike, he's always somewhere else in the world. Mike, how many countries have you been to now? Do you know? Uh, probably close to 75. And uh, I'd, I'd be at a higher number if only they, uh, the borders were open because I, I was actually supposed to... Uh, First, I was supposed to do a, a tour across Australia where I was going to be actually speaking. So I was going to be working while I was there, which I don't always do. And uh, then from there, I was going to visit a whole bunch of South Pacific countries. But that, of course, uh, all got kiboshed. And I'm, I'm here up in, in uh, Canada. And, uh, but it's, it's peaceful and the weather is good. So I'm, I'm not going to complain. Beautiful, man. Beautiful. Well, Mike, what we want to pick your brain on, and, and so everyone knows too, Mike is, he's kind of my idol when it comes to lifestyle entrepreneurship. Mike has figured out how to balance this. He's a grandpa. You'd never guess it because he looks like he's like 25. He looks really good, but he's a grandpa. He manages family. He manages business and he travels the world nonstop, except for in the midst of this whole pandemic, but he's traveling all the time. So when it comes to like lifestyle entrepreneurship, this is the guy that I strive to be someday. He's very relaxed, easygoing, but he did it by building a real estate business first, one that brings him passive income. And um, he's done really, really well at it. But Mike, what I want to pick your brain on right now is this whole auction thing. Like what's about to happen? Tell us, like shake your crystal ball for us and tell us based on what you're seeing, are we going to see a lot of foreclosures come into the steps? What's going to happen? Yeah, well, what's likely to happen is kind of right now we're in a bit of a, a bubble and I think people are kind of still in shock and, and things aren't really back to normal in so many ways, meaning, you know, right now there's the government handing out money to keep people afloat. 
People don't know, am I still going to have a job when this ends? Am I not? There's going to be so many different businesses, unfortunately, not reopening, especially like when you look at retail, when you look at restaurants. The government uh, has put a, a moratorium, you know, the banks can't foreclose on people right now, which is I'm grateful for. I hate to, I can't even imagine what that would look like if banks were foreclosing and, and landlords were kicking out tenants in the middle of all this uh, mayhem. But of course, what happens when that comes to an end, people won't be getting handouts from the government. The banks will not be lenient. Landlords, of course, have to get rid of bad tenants at some point because you can't, you know, you can't make your mortgage payments and pay your, your property taxes if you don't have income coming in. So what we're very likely to see, unless the government wants to keep printing money, which they may do, because uh, who knows, but what we're most likely to see is a really big onslaught of uh, pre-foreclosures, foreclosures, and you know, things like the tax deed auction. The, the one, my personal favorite auction takes place in Houston, Texas on the first Tuesday of every month. Well, it's been shut down now for three, four months. And uh, obviously you're gonna have, even if there were no new foreclosures coming down the pipeline, you're gonna have a whole bunch of properties that were supposed to have gone to auction over these past few months, and they're all gonna be coming down the pipeline. And so we're gonna see a, a lot of opportunity at the auctions and also some of the stuff that you're doing with the social media. There's also a chance to get to these people while they're in pre-foreclosure before they lose their homes. And that's also a great strategy uh, going forward because we can help a lot of these people, you know, before, unfortunately, they, they lose their homes to the bank and to the county. Mike, how would you do that? Like, okay, so we're sitting here. I know that, and hopefully you'll tell us about this. I know that you lead a lot of investors to go to foreclosure auction tours on site and you walk them through the process. And we want to know about that while we're together. But what would you do? Like, we're all real estate investors here. What should we do to start prepping for this? Yeah, well, the big thing is, you know, going to these auctions, it takes a lot of education because if you just show up every month, there's a list of all these properties are going to go up on the auction block. And some of them are great deals. Some of them are horrible deals. And some of them are really dangerous deals hidden in disguise of something that looks really good. And so what I mean by that, I do a four day training normally live, you know, on tax deeds, tax liens. And a lot of times when we're in the classroom, we spend the first couple of days in the classroom Day three, we go driving around uh, looking at properties and evaluating them. And day four, we actually go as a group to the auction. So day one and day two, when we're doing our due diligence, you know, we're, we're looking at this list. And a lot of times these homes on paper look really, really good. And I'll give you one example. So I've seen properties that look phenomenal. The pictures look great. The home looks beautiful. Then we're, we go driving around and where this beautiful home used to be, there's now smoldering ashes. And one of the challenges at these auctions is that what you see after you bought it is what you get. You can't go back after and say, oh, well, it looked really pretty in this picture. Or you put a picture of the next door neighbor's house, not the right house. You don't really the, have the county will do that? Or like, who's putting up these pictures? Uh, the county, but they're paying somebody, you know, an hourly rate to, or, or maybe per home rate to go take these pictures. And they're just zipping by, taking pictures as quick as they can, getting on to the next one. And uh, the county's not liable for what's on there. One, one of the challenges I had is when I was trying to figure this out, which was probably around eight, nine years ago now, I took every course I could find. I read every, every book on the topic. And the more I read, the more I tried to learn, the more confused I got. Meaning that, you know, I went to some courses that they actually said, oh, you don't need to go view the property. Just use Google Maps. Go look at the pictures online. Well, the danger to that is if you're dealing with a home that's been vacant for a few years, it could be vandalized, it could be burnt to the ground. And there's just so many different things that could happen. And that's just physical part of the home. There could be problems with title. There's a whole lot of really great things about these auctions, such as the fact that the mortgages all get wiped out. And, you know, I've had students pick up 
single family homes for like seven thousand dollars. Seven, uh, like seven, seven thousand dollars. Yeah. <laughs> One of my clients got a home for it was seventy two hundred dollars, and he kept it as a rental property. Back when he got it, it was nine hundred a month rent. I think now he's getting like twelve hundred a month rent. I suddenly paid seventy two hundred dollars for. So that's a beautiful side of the equation, and I don't know where you get a, a property for those kind of prices anywhere else. But the negative side to the equation is that there's a lot of pitfalls. So what I did after I took these courses and I, I tried to figure out what was true, what was false, because of course said, oh, you can do this from the comfort of your own home. You don't need to, you don't, you don't need to go drive by the property and oh, you don't need to pull title and you don't need to do all these. So anyway, I made myself a human guinea pig and knowing I was going to lose some money, that was going to be my education. So over time I managed to figure out, you know, what works, what doesn't work. But I'll give you another example. There, there was a, a very well publicized, and you can probably find this uh, on if you Google it. Somebody last year, I think it was last summer, in Fort Lauderdale, bought what they thought was a villa worth, if I remember correctly, numbers. It was probably worth two hundred and something thousand, and they got it for eleven thousand dollars. And they thought they got this really amazing deal. It turns out they bought a strip of land that was a hundred feet long and like three feet wide that was separating two villas, and they thought they were actually buying a property. So the good news is. All this stuff is avoidable if you have the education on how to do it. And it's all stuff that, unfortunately, I see a lot of people making really expensive mistakes at these auctions. And, uh, you know, there's just so many different pitfalls. And, and that's so my advice would be, yes, definitely get educated. Once you know how to do this properly, then the auctions are a great place to find deals. Uh, but I also want to caution people, you know, obviously, you're not going to be the only person there. There is competition. So it's not like, hey, you take the class and then every month you just go pick out 10 properties that you want. and make a couple million bucks, it's not get rich quick. But if you do the work and you're consistent with it, uh, you can make a really, really good living. Even if you get a couple of deals a year, you can make a pretty good living, you know, buying homes for those kind of prices. Yeah, Mike, so this $7,000 house, I wanna go back to this for a minute. Oh, you got you excited. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you got my attention here, okay? That $7,000 house, he bought the tax lien, I assume? Not the tax deed. So let's only clarify. Let me let me define all this because so, I know your viewers don't necessarily know what even a tax lien or tax deed is. So when somebody gets behind on their property taxes, usually two, three, four years, it's not like they're one day late and then their home's going to go to auction. But when they get behind on their property taxes, eventually the county is going to need that money to pay for their police force, their, keep their schools open, etc. And so eventually they got to put these homes up on the auction block. And it does created an amazing opportunity when this happens. Now, in the interim, of course, the people are getting notices in, in the mail saying, hey, your home is, if you don't pay up your property taxes, you're going to get a penalty and eventually, you know, we're going to put, we're going to have to sell it. And people often don't take this seriously because, you know, maybe they've been getting these notices for two or three years. They're not even taking it seriously until finally they get something say, hey, you know, next month on the first Tuesday, uh, your home's going for auction. So then they go scrambling to pay this off. But what a tax deed is, is basically it's an opportunity to buy, you're actually buying a piece of property. So in the case of the $7,000 home that you're really excited about, that was a tax deed. So my client bought the deed to the property. He now owns that home. It's his, he can rent it, he can live in it, he can flip it, he can do what he wants with and it. Did he own it on day one? He put the seven grand down and it's his that day? It's his that day. Now, in, depending on the state that you're working in, there's different rules that apply. Now, most states, if it's a tax deed state, uh, you own that property right from day one and you can do whatever you want with it. Now in Texas, one of the reasons I like Texas is that it's a little bit more complicated. And one of the things that I like to teach my students is that when you kind of go, and I'm sure you teach this too, when you go the extra mile, you go just a little bit further than what other people are willing to do. That's where the better deals are. 
So if you go to a state where it's like, if you go to a state where it's super easy, you just buy the home and you can flip it the next day, then you're quite often competing against institutional investors that have tons and tons of money. It's very hard to compete against these guys. So what happens in Texas, it's called a redeemable deed state. What that means is that the previous owner, even though they've been given chances for like three years, four years to go uh, save their property, they get one more chance even after you bought the home. And that for them to redeem it, they have to give you a 25% premium over what you paid for it, plus whatever necessary repairs you put into that property. And, and I use the word necessary, you really need to take that very seriously because if you, for example, decide, oh, I love this home, I'm gonna put a $100,000 chandelier, that won't be considered necessary. And when the, if the people were to redeem it, they'll give you a 25% premium on the house and they're gonna acquire your new chandelier and you're not gonna get anything for it. On the other hand, if you put it up on a new roof, you have to change the carpets to make it livable. Any of that stuff, you know, if you spent $10,000 rehabbing it, you're going to get $12,500 back, plus a 25% premium on whatever you paid. And that's within the first six months. Now, there are ways, and some of the stuff that I teach is, is ways that you can flip it. So if your strategy is to flip a home, buy the home for seven grand, sell it for 90, there are ways to do that. It's a little bit more complicated, which is why it keeps a lot of people away. They don't understand how to deal with that redeemable deed part. They know how to do a regular deed, they don't know how to deal with that part, especially if they're using other people's money. They don't wanna wait six months. If, if they're using hard money, for example, they're not gonna to wanna to wait that six month period. So those are deeds. Now, the other side of the equation is you have tax liens. And what a tax lien is, and it varies from state to state, but typically you're getting what's called a TLC, which is a tax lien certificate. And you're basically getting, so let's say, you know, Mr. Smith hasn't paid his property taxes. He gets a notice in the mail saying your taxes are due June 1st. It's $1,000. Uh, if you don't pay on time, we're going to assess a 10% penalty. So June 1st comes and goes. Mr. Smith doesn't make that payment. And now the county is owed the 1000 plus a 10% penalty. So now they're owed $1,100. So what they do is they go and sell that certificate for $1,000 to an investor like you or me or anybody watching this. And you're going to pay the $1,000. The county is going to keep bugging Mr. Smith to make payment. When he sends that $1,100, they are going to send that to you. So you put in $1,000, you're going to get $1,100 back. What eventually happens with these properties in a very small percentage of cases is Mr. Smith never ends up paying. And then it becomes, you know, there's a certain redemption period. At that time, Mr. Smith now cannot go and just pay the, the property taxes. You can actually foreclose, take the property. And so if you ever saw those late night infomercials back, you know, back in the 80s and 90s, yeah. uh, you know, somebody bought a home for 500 bucks, that's often a tax lien where, you know, they put in a very small amount of money. But the thing I like to caution my students on when it comes to tax liens is often if you're going to get that property for this really small amount, like 500 bucks, not always, but quite often there's going to be something wrong with it. And to give you an example, imagine you bought a lien on a piece of land and this land unbeknownst to you was contaminated. And there's like a $50,000 bill to make that land you know, up to code again and make it safe. If you foreclose on that property, it now becomes your liability to fix that. The thing that you got for 500 bucks might cost you another 50,000 bucks and it may or may not still be a good deal. So you have to be really careful. You still have to do your due diligence, whether you're doing liens or deeds in order to make a, uh, a profit at it and not uh, get stuck in some of the traps. But once you know what you're doing, it can be a very lucrative business. Dude, this stuff is killer. This is gold. Okay. And I want to open this up to, we've got some folks, we're streaming right now back to our Facebook group. So there's some people that are watching. And there's also some of our elite students, some folks that jumped on, they were early adopters on podcasts that I launched and whatnot. And they're here live with us too. So 
Diana, Jason, Jordan, if you've got questions that you want to send over, or if you want to talk, we can turn on your mic too, and we can talk to Mike. Mike's a super approachable guy, one of the most down-to-earth, successful real estate investors that I've ever met, and that's why I like him, frankly. So, but let's see, you guys can join in the conversation with us as well. Mike, taught me this little thing the other day, like you got my curiosity wheels circling on overages. Overages. Nobody talks about overages in this whole tax lien or tax deed process. What are they and, and how do we take advantage of these? Yeah, overages is, is a really cool strategy that I didn't know. You know, I had heard bits and pieces about it and I didn't know that much about it till a couple of years ago when I actually, by coincidence, had a mutual friend introduce me to somebody who's an expert at this. And, and so anyway, what an overage is, is when you go to these auctions, let's say opening bid is $5,000. And let's say the property sells for 50000 So that first $5,000, that belongs to the county fair and square. That money is for the back taxes owing. And that additional 45000 actually does not belong to the county. The county's not really supposed to make a profit in theory on these homes. So that actual additional 45000 is called an overage and that actually belongs to the previous homeowner. And most previous homeowners have no idea that there's money owed to them. The county makes very little, if any, attempt to contact these people because the county wants to keep it in their little slush fund. And so an amazing strategy that's a great win-win is to track down the homeowner and say, listen, I know somebody owes you $45,000. If you're willing to give me you know, power of attorney and let me help you retrieve it, uh, if you give me, you know, whatever you negotiate, 20%, 30%, 40% of it, I'm going to get you this money. So imagine you're, you're in there, the homeowner's position where you just lost your home. You're probably in pretty bad financial shape. And all of a sudden somebody comes to you and says, hey, I can get you 45,000 bucks. Uh, yeah. It's going to get your attention. Some people will actually be skeptical, even though this is all true. They'll be skeptical when you approach them. So a buddy of mine who actually does this strategy, he actually gives them a 10% of it up front. So if he says he can get them 45 thousand and he, let's say he's taking half of it just for easy numbers he'll give them you know two thousand two hundred and fifty dollars for ten percent just in good faith and then he'll get them the other money later on so it's a really great win-win strategy and, and one of the things that i love to teach is that there's so many different ways to monetize these auctions it's not you know most people just think oh i'll go to the auction i'll bid i'll get a property that's great you can do that but there's also every month when they publish that the, the list of the homes that are going for sale that's a list of people that are in trouble so that list is gold in, in terms of, you know, going and talking to them before they lose a home and going and, and creating options for them. And so for me, if I was going to do this full time, uh, these days, I'm, I'm, I wouldn't say lazy, but I have teams that do a lot of different things for me. And we, we have so many things on the go. I don't need more on my plate. But if, if I was starting fresh, I would come up with a marketing campaign towards the pre-foreclosures before they lose a home. Then the ones you can't help and can't get a hold of, uh, then I would go and go to the auctions and, and pick up those properties for pennies on the dollar. And then the stuff, if you, you know, whether you win or lose, there's going to be a whole bunch of people owed money with these overages. Then I would go and skip trace these people and, and get in contact with them and help them recover that money and then get a piece of it. So there's so many different ways that you can monetize this. And it's not what most people think. Like I said, most people just think, oh, you go to the auction and you bid and that's it. And that's great if that's all you did. That's great. But the auction in Houston, which is my favorite one, takes place once a month. And the amount of research you need to do, I don't recommend if you're just doing auction work, if you weren't doing the pre-foreclosure stuff, I wouldn't even look at the list till probably like three or four days before the auction. Because a lot of these people, uh, when they get a notice in the mail, after all these years saying, hey, your home is going up on the auction block, 
suddenly they get very serious and it's very humbling and they go ask their friends for money, they go ask their relatives for money, people they wouldn't have gone to before, now they, they've lost, you know, before they were too proud, now it's become very real to them. And so a lot of these properties as the month progresses will get canceled. Some of them because investors like us are doing pre-foreclosure with them and bailing them out before it gets to the auction. So if I was just doing the auction, that's gonna take up maybe three days. You're gonna spend maybe you know, on the list four or five hours for the entire month working that. So you've got 25 other days where you could be doing other stuff. And so I would never just say, hey, let's just do the auction. We'll work for four hours a month and then the rest of the time just sit back because there's going to be auctions where you get nothing. You're going to come home empty handed and then you've got nothing to do. So I'd be doing your social media stuff to track distressed buyers. I'd be going after pre-foreclosures. I'd be doing a whole bunch of other strategies for the rest of the month, especially for people that want to do this full time. If you want this to be your career, you want to always be feeding your funnels, feeding your pipeline with deals. Yeah, that's fantastic. Fantastic. Okay. We've got um, a couple chats over here. I'm just going to read this out to you. This is from Diana. There are some properties that say occupied. If they pay a lien, do you have to foreclose or evict to get them out? You don't, if it's a lien, you don't have to foreclose. You're, you're not obligated to but you're probably not gonna get, I mean, you could negotiate with the homeowner at some point, depending, and this depends on, on the county, by the way, because in some places it's actually against the law for you to contact the homeowner. It's all done, in some places, all done by the county, so you're not even allowed to approach them. Uh, in other places where it is legal, you could potentially uh, work on a deal with these people, but usually liens are for very, very small amounts of money, and you know, quite often if, if they're occupied, it's usually gonna be, it's more likely to be a tenant than a homeowner. If, if let's say, you know, you're getting a lien for $500, somebody can't pay their $500 and they're about to lose their home, usually there's either something really wrong with it or it's tenant occupied and they're, they're collecting rent while they're not making a, their property tax and probably not their mortgage payment either. So, so in theory, in some places you can. So to be honest, I'm a much bigger fan of tax deeds and tax liens. And the reason for that is if you're buying, let's say a $500 lien, even if you get 20% on it, it's a very small amount of money. I mean, it's better than leaving in the bank for sure. But if you get to the part where you're gonna actually have ownership of this property, you have to do a lot of due diligence. And if let's say 98% of the time, you're just gonna get this interest payment, you're gonna get you know, 100 bucks or you know, 500 bucks, you're gonna get a relatively small amount of money. And for you to do the due diligence can be very, very uh, expensive. So it makes it a little bit cost prohibitive unless you're doing it close to home where you can actually drive the properties yourself. So I'd much rather do a deed where I'm going to get a much bigger payday on it. And, you know, with those deals, you can definitely negotiate with uh, homeowners at times. Most of the homes will be vacant, but the ones where the, the people are still there, uh, there's different ways to negotiate with them. But yeah, for liens, when it's a very small amount, there's all, almost always going to be a problem with the property because it's usually such a small amount. Got it. Got it. So I used to buy a lot of foreclosures in like bank foreclosures. They went through the whole REO process. They were taken back from the bank and I bought some pre-foreclosures, but it was always very risky because at least the states that I was doing it, there was a long redemption period. Meaning even though I might buy the rights for it, the homeowner can come back and redeem. And then all of the work that I put into it kind of goes to waste. I get my money back, but I wouldn't make anything. Is there a redemption period on tax deeds? Only in a few states, one of them being Texas, one of them being Georgia, I think Connecticut, if I remember correctly. Uh, in any case, there's a few states where there's a redemption period. And normally I don't like to go, when you're getting to a place where there's a redemption period, you have to know exactly what your rights are and what the previous homeowner's rights are. And in Texas, I really like it because the previous homeowner doesn't have any rights except for the right of redemption. And they have to give you a 25% premium 
not just on, on what you paid for the property, but also on the work that you did. And so you'll never be out of pocket as long as, I mean, unless you didn't do your due diligence properly, but you'll never be out of pocket because the tenant came back to redeem. Now, if you go to Georgia, for example, they have a one-year redemption period. And my understanding is during that year, you can't do anything with the property. You can't rent it. You can't live in it. You can't do rehab it. You can't do anything with the property. That's my understanding. I've never done it there. So verify that if you're thinking of uh, doing taxis there. So if you're, if you're in Georgia, and I, I love Georgia for other things, that's where my turnkey operation is. And, and I love you know, regular foreclosures, but I don't, don't like doing taxis there because I don't want to invest money, have to wait a whole year before I get any kind of return on it. It just ties up your, your cash. So you have to know if you're in a, in a state where it's a redeemable deed, you have to know what the rights are of the previous owner and what you're allowed to do during that redemption period. So in Texas, it's very, you know, there's a lot of things you can do with that property. You could put a renter in there and start collecting rent right from day one. If the homeowner happens to still be there, which usually they're not, but if they are, you could potentially charge them rent. Uh, so there's a lot of different things that you can do, a lot of different exit strategies in Texas, whereas in, in Georgia, exact opposite, nothing for a full year that you can do. By the way, there, it's a 20% redemption. If the homeowner wants to buy it back off you, they have to give you a 20% premium, but you know, a lot of times nothing happens. You can't get a hold of the owner. And in the meantime, you're, the home is just sitting there in limbo. And of course, when you have a home sitting vacant for a whole year, who knows what's going to happen? You got to keep it insured. You got to pay for utilities. So you've got to be really careful to know exactly what you're getting yourself into before you uh, jump in. But, but that's why for me, I don't invest. I'm Canadian, but I don't invest up in Canada because the numbers don't make sense to me. So I always recommend to people go where things are the most favorable for you. These days, a lot of stuff can be done online. And you know, for the stuff that can't be, I, I, you can build a team. Like I've got people in, in Houston that go around taking pictures and videos of the properties and, and the streetscape uh, for myself and also for my students. I've got somebody who goes to the auction on behalf of myself and my students every month. So a lot of stuff can be done remotely if you have a team and you have the right systems in place. At least what I teach is that you don't necessarily have to invest close to the home. Invest where the best returns are and where, you know, where things are the most favorable for you. Mike, on the Canadian note, we do have some folks that are part of this program that they're from Canada. Can we still do wholesaling in Canada? Like, could I assign contracts if I get a good deal off market? Could I assign it to another investor? Absolutely. Yeah. So when I talk about I don't like doing deals up here in Canada, that's because I'm, I'm mostly a buy and hold investor yeah. myself. And the home prices are ridiculous in pretty much every major Canadian city. The home prices are very, very high. And rent relative to purchase price is very low. So I get way better returns in Atlanta. And that's why I take my, my clients who want to buy turnkey properties there. And also the things like tax deed auctions, there's very little of that in Canada. We don't see a lot of that. Homes going for auction, usually there's so few that there's so much competition that they go you know, above market value. So it makes no sense. But if you're a wholesaler, absolutely. You can be doing that in Canada. We can be doing flips. If you can get a good deal, you can do flips. So not a great place to buy and hold, but yeah, some of the strategies that you're teaching and attracting people on social media and looking for deals, that can definitely be done in Canada. What about double close? Is there a law or restrictions to buying and selling the same day where you actually close on it and sell it to somebody else? That's going to vary from province to province. So I would talk to a lawyer in, in your local market mm-hmm. and uh, there, there's different ways. You know, I, I know people doing you know, double closes or, or there's you know, writing it up in certain ways. A lot of times if you call it one thing, uh, you can't do it. You change it slightly and now all of a sudden you can do it. So for example, in places where you can't do rent to own, and, and Texas is one of them, by the way, at least in Houston, I don't know if that's statewide, but in, in, in Houston, you can't do a rent to own. But if you do a rental contract and then you do a totally separate contract that gives somebody an option to purchase the property, then it's fine. You do one contract, call it rent to own, it's not fine. 
So mm-hmm. sometimes it's, it's working with, uh, you know, getting a professional to help you write the contracts properly and go through it with you and showing you the proper way to do it. So just because you've heard, hey, this isn't legal or can't be done here, that doesn't necessarily mean it's a case. It means that if you do things the traditional way that everybody else is doing, then you can't. And if you uh, tweak it a little bit, sometimes you can. And uh, so I'd always talk, I'd always get, uh, you know, uh, a lawyer to look at the contracts and, and tell them exactly what you're looking to do. And then when you find a good one, just go to town and, and just send the deals to them and they'll know how to close it for you. Absolutely. Okay. Mike, I don't want to put you on the spot and I don't want to take too much of your time, but could you give us maybe just a couple minutes about why Atlanta for turnkeys? And if we want to know more about the turnkey operation there, like give us some of those goods. Absolutely. So I'll tell you how I pick a market. So I'll give give you a little bit of education into my thinking. When we go into a market, I'm not looking to buy one or two homes. To give you an idea, uh, we've been in Atlanta now for close to eight years and we've done around a thousand, we sold around a thousand homes to investors around the world. And so I definitely don't throw a dart, a map, and pick that market. There's things that I look at very specifically. And the first thing that I look at, and most people don't even think of this, is I look at how landlord or tenant-friendly is that market. And so what I mean by that, if you're in uh, California, I love visiting California, but I will never buy a, a rental property there because if you get a bad tenant, it can take you, I have a friend, it took him almost 18 months to get rid of a bad tenant. Wow. And so, yeah, when the laws are very much in favor of tenants, I think there's a course out there for tenants on how to not, <laughs> not get kicked out of the house. So uh, they will make your life very, very miserable. And I don't know about you, but I've never once had my, you know, my bank call me up and say, hey, Mike, I hear you're having a hard time collecting rent. Yeah, just pay your mortgage whenever. We don't care. Whenever you get rent, pay us. I've never once had that happen. If I did have that happen, then maybe I would consider California. And I'm not just taking on California, New York. There's a whole lot of places that are very, very tenant friendly. And so even if on paper the numbers look great, your chance of collecting rent in a place where the laws are very much slanted towards your tenant, you're going to be in big trouble at some point. All it takes is one tenant and they could just wipe out your life savings. So that's the number one thing I'm going to look at. I won't touch places that are very, very extremely in favor of the tenant. Number two is I always want to find a market that is ripe for appreciation. And so, you know, what causes appreciation is obviously, you know, population growth is a simple supply and demand. If the population is going to grow, like right now, you know, post COVID, what I believe we're going to see is a lot of people moving away from very expensive, high cost of living places. So for example, imagine you wake up and you're in Manhattan in your one bedroom apartment, that's four or 5,000 bucks a month, and your job is no longer there. Mm-hmm. You're not going to be able to sustain that lifestyle for very long, unless you have a lot of savings. You're going to burn through that really, really quick. So if you contrast that, you could be living in a, a beautiful three bedroom home in a nice neighborhood in Atlanta for, you know, eleven, twelve hundred dollars and the cost of living is very low there. The turnkey homes that I sell start at $70,000 already fixed up, already with a tenant in place. Yeah, so that's not even a down payment in some of these markets. So people are going to move to places that have work for them, where there's employment, where the cost of living is affordable, and places that are desirable. And so the number two thing I'm looking at is where, you know, I want to be in the path of progress. I want to go to places before other people figure out they want to go there. And so, you know, Georgia, one of the things I love about Georgia, even though I don't like it for taxis, I do love the fact that it's extremely, not just landlord friendly, but it's very business friendly. And so they have a lot of tax incentives for businesses to open up their offices there. So head office to Coca-Cola, Turner Broadcasting, Home Depot, Delta Airlines, you know, the list goes on and on and on of, of companies with head offices there, just because it's very, very low tax rate for them. And the government knows, hey, if we make it favorable for businesses to move here, they're going to hire a whole bunch of people and we'll tax those people. 
So basically, there's a lot of uh, jobs. The economy is really good. And the other thing that's really important is it's diversified. So you go to one industry towns where I am right now, I'm in Calgary. For those of you who don't know, Calgary is an oil town. We are definitely going to be, we were already feeling the pinch before COVID. And now it's, you know, downtown Calgary, there's a whole lot of commercial real estate sitting empty. A lot of office buildings where oil people used to be sitting at those desks. They're, they're not there anymore. So when you're in a one industry town, you're doing good. You're good as long as that industry is doing well. When you're in a, you know, multiple industry town, if, you know, Delta Airlines is probably going to be struggling for a little bit. You know, if they had to lay off people, well, people can go work at Coca-Cola or then go work at Home Depot or there's so many different industries there. So very, very business friendly, which is, attracts people all the time. They also get a lot of people that come there whenever, you know, hurricane season, you know, people get really sick of hurricanes in Florida and the Carolinas and, you know, Atlanta quite often is a beneficiary of some of these people that just get sick of evacuating. So the population is growing, business is good. And what, what that means is that, you know, at some point, people are going to realize that this market is way underpriced for how good the economy is and what's going on there. And that's when you get your booms all of a sudden. And this is how I personally created my wealth. I, I happened to be in uh, the right markets at the right time. I got in when they were cheap. The markets rose up. So the thing that I do differently than most people is at some point, Atlanta is not going to make sense. And because I don't invest where I live, I invest where, it makes the be- where I can get, make the best returns. At some point, I'm going to move to a different market. And I'm going to build a team there. I'm going to find another opportunity. And my customers, my clients who have bought homes in Atlanta through me, when the time comes and those properties rise up, they're going to be able to sell those homes and then hopefully be able to buy, you know, two in the next market. That's what I did when I went from Phoenix to Atlanta. Every home I sold in Phoenix, I could uh, purchase two in Atlanta. And I doubled my portfolio without taking more money out of my pocket. So that's why that is also the second step. And the third step is what most people go to first. And that's, they look at the cash flow. They look at, well, how much money am I going to get every month? You know, if I buy a $100,000 property, how much will I put into my pocket every month? And if you go to that first and you skip the other two things, well, you might get great, what I call paper returns. On paper, it looks really, really good. If the numbers made sense in California, which they don't really anywhere, any market in California that I'm aware of, but even if they did, if you can only collect rent two or three months and then your tenant decides they're not going to pay and they stay there for a year without paying you, that return is not going to look anything like what you were expecting. So very, very important before you go straight to your cash flow is looking at those first two things. Then cash flow is very important after that. Once you've got a great market in terms of you know, being favorable for getting rid of bad tenants and you're in the path of progress where things are going to grow and your homes are going to rise up in value, you're going to make money that way. Then, of course, you want to be sustainable. So you want to have you know, cash flow coming in every month. So you want to get to a good market. And Atlanta is a good market for that as well. And so those are, the, those are the things I look at when I'm picking a market. And that's why I love Atlanta. And, and I'm, I'm going to be actually sad the day that I've got to switch markets because that has been, you know, of all the markets I've been in, it's been my favorite market for buying and holding. Now for flipping, I, I love Houston because I love those auctions and, and uh, the pre-foreclosures, the foreclosures, I, I, uh, the overage list is I haven't really done I have some of my students have done overages. I haven't actually tried them yet. But if I was going to be getting into that sort of thing, that's one of the markets I'd look at. And I'm sure you know a whole bunch uh, more as well. But those are some of my criteria that I look at. Mike, dude, you are dropping like mad wisdom on everybody. So we've learned not only like the best of the best on auctions, but we've also learned how to pick a market for turnkey rentals. Like I know that you're a wealth of knowledge and people are going to want to follow up with you and, and get more. How do we get a hold of you? What's the best way? Yeah, best bet is to, you can actually email me info at mikewolfmastery.com. So it's wolf just like the uh, animal. 
info at mikewolfmastery.com. Uh, my website is uh, mikewolfmastery.com, obviously. And uh, yeah, I'd be happy to answer any questions anybody's got anytime. Cause I, uh, I don't know if you noticed, but I kind of like talking about real estate. I guess I'm <laughs> yeah. I'd say you just went on a, a roll for 41 minutes of nonstop, like drinking from a fire hydrant worth of knowledge. Like you're good, man. You're really good. I get excited. I get, I'm very passionate. I've been doing this for 31 years. I'm still passionate about it and I love it. And I, it makes me cringe when I hear people's horror stories. Like I, I hear about some of the mistakes or they, they, you know, got involved with the wrong people and, or they have a bad taste in their mouth about real estate investing. And I, I just know how good it's been to me. I know how good it's been to you and a lot of my other friends. And it drives me crazy when I, when I see somebody who gets knocked out of the business because of a, you know, simple, either a simple mistake or just, I don't know, some of the stuff that I've, I know back when I first started, I'm sure you had the same experiences. Trust me, I, I made every mistake in the book and I know how, how much it hurts. And there were times that I did want to get out of the industry and I'm so glad I didn't. So, so now that I kind of figured out a few things, I'm very passionate about it and I love to help uh, other people succeed at it, as do you. Yeah, Mike, dude, you are so great and gracious for coming in and sharing like this today. For our SMB family members, feel free to reach out to Mike. Mike is one of the most passive guys I've met, like totally friendly, likes to talk to people about real estate. So if you've got questions about either the auction process or about turnkey rentals, this is the guy that I would go to. And whenever you do put the date on the calendar, Mike, I will be the first person signing up with you for your next auction tour. So I know that you schedule, I don't know if you've got a date yet, but schedules yeah. are... Up in well, the air. I'm, hoping, I'm hoping to do the first week of October. Uh, of course, a few things have to happen, uh, such as the ability to put crowds together again and uh, in a room. But I'm optimistically hoping for October. Maybe if, if things go really well, maybe September. But I, I just don't want to put anything on the calendar. I am doing a, a three-day training this week, this uh, weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And I'm going to be teaching. I'll be touching on tax deeds. You know, that's a four-day course in itself. So I obviously can't teach that and other strategies in three days. I'm going to be touching on it. And I'm going to be talking a lot about things like pre-foreclosures and wholesaling and, you know, flipping and overages and, and bringing in a whole bunch of guest speakers, including yourself. So if anybody wants to sign up for that, it's, it's $997 and I give a money back guarantee. You get to attend day one if you don't think it's uh, the second best training after Nate's that you've ever attended, gladly refund your money. So if anybody's interested in that, just email me at that email address and let me know that you uh, saw me on Nate's. A Nate's program. Matter of fact, I'll, I'll even, I'm going to give the friends and family discount to, uh, to your people. So I'll give you 25% off. So just say you saw me at Nate's and you want that uh, discount. Like I said, there's no risk. If you, if you don't like it, and I think Nate's going to be speaking on Friday. So if you don't like him and you want your, no, you're going to love, you're going to love it. You're going to love all the speakers. So if uh, for whatever reason you don't think there, you don't think you can do these strategies or you don't just ask for money back and I'll cheerfully refund. Mike, this is awesome, man. So again, it's, I think it's info at MikeWolfMastery.com. Is that right? Exactly. Okay. Bet. And I'll add that to the comments of the video after this too. Mike, dude, thank you so much. Appreciate you. God bless you, man. Sounds great. And everybody stay safe. And uh, th thanks so much for having me, Nate. It's been a pleasure to be here. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Mike. Bye-bye. Okay, awesome. I'm so glad that we got to have Mike on like that. Legendary guy, really good person, deep down has his ethics grounded so his real estate business thrives because he's an ethical dude. And as you can see, he's really, really giving. I mean, we had him on there for what, 35, 40 minutes, and he was willing to go more and more and more. So blessed opportunity to have him. So on the next episode of the Social Media Blueprint Podcast, you're really going to want to hear this message. We're actually going to be going into why God wants you to succeed. And I'll give you a little bit of a hint 
Okay, God wants us to succeed because it's in our destiny. It truly is. I'm going to go into some different principles on this, but we're going to get deep onto why God wants you to succeed in the next episode of the Social Media Blueprint Podcast. So I look forward to seeing you there. Also, if you're like someone searching right now saying, gosh, I wonder if I should get involved with this real estate stuff. I wonder if Nate's team can help. Then what you can do is come on over to smbpodcast.com and book a free call. No obligation. What we've got is we've got a couple guys, myself included, and a couple other guys and gals on our team that will take calls. We don't have a ton of them, but we'll take calls. We'll build out a marketing plan for you. You can either use that marketing plan to take it off and, and go running on your own to set it up and start doing real estate deals with it. Or if you want our help implementing it, then we'll show you what we could do to help implement it. Anyways, you do that by going to smbpodcast.com. All right, I look forward to hearing you and seeing you on the next episode. Hey, cold calling? Can't stand direct mail? Wish there was a way to have sellers coming to you instead of having to chase them down? Now there is. It's called the Social Media Blueprint, and you can get it absolutely free when you go to www.socialmediablueprint.com slash podcast.